and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer and in today's show, we're going to be asking how do you design financial services for the mega rich? Boo-hoo, their banking sucks, I hear you shout out loudly. But in a recent report by Credit Suisse found that a number of global ultra high net worth individuals has hit a record in 2021 as the super rich benefited from soaring house prices and booming stock markets and even now tax breaks from the conservatives if you really want to be super current last week. Uh, and while the banking options for this level has traditionally been delivered by stuffy old chaps with briefcases turn out up to your house, then there is a new wave of players looking to make some noise and attract the wealthiest to them as well. So today we've put together a panel of experts to discuss how has banking for these whales of finance evolved over the last few years? What are the unique challenges for building products in this sector? And why can't everybody have this experience more broadly? We'll discuss all of this and much, much more on today's show. But before we get started, a few brief messages. Don't go anywhere. This year, 11FS are heading to Vegas for Money 2020. Come and see us on stand K2310, where our Pulse team will be ready to chat all things UX and show you the very best user journeys from around the world of FS. That's not all. Also, we'll be recording two live episodes of Fintech Insider, where you can come and watch and get a bit of a peek behind the mics. It all kicks off on the 23rd of October. See you in Vegas. As you gear up for autumn, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier. Tap into the world's largest professional network with over 30 million people in the UK. Create a job post in minutes and spread the word so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Just add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to find candidates with just the right skills and experience. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires compared with leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster, and you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com fintech. That's linkedin.com fintech. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's get started with the show. As always, I'm joined by an amazing panel of guests who can shed a little bit more light on the topic as well. Uh, first off, we have a FinTech Insider debut. I mean, I honestly can't believe this, Will. Like, how have you managed working at 11FS for four years to get away without coming on this podcast? We have Will Jones, Executive Creative Director here at 11FS. Welcome to the show, Will. Well, uh, where you been hiding? I know, right? I've been on pretty much everything else we do, but uh, I can't believe this is my debut as well. But I'm absolutely delighted to be here. I think it's uh, it's, it's doubly weird because actually you're one of the most articulate people who work at Eleven FS as well. So it's not like we were just like, yeah, but he's crazy in front of the camera. <laughs> type thing. You're genuinely really intelligent, articulate dude. So like, uh, but it's great to have you on anyway. It's a subject matter I know it's very close to your heart, not just design, but obviously a lot of the things that you've been doing lately sort of fit well and truly in this space. So. Uh, Looking forward to getting into it. Well, as am I, and uh, yeah, you've you've set me up for a fail there by uh, by picking me up. So uh, hopefully the listeners agree with you. <laughs> I wouldn't do it unless you could back it up. Don't worry. All right, next we also have a fintech insider debut from Lennart Ashoff, who is the CEO and co-founder at Nokoro. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for having me. Uh, and tell us a little bit more about Nokoro for for anybody who doesn't know. Sure. Um, so Nokoro basically provides the infrastructure for 
the modern wealth management, I would say. So we help financial institutions to launch digital wealth management propositions. So we work with insurance companies, wealth managers, private banks and retail banks in order to help them basically uh, leapfrog into a new tech stack and uh, provide a cloud-native API-driven tech infrastructure that allows them then to really build great user experiences and great digital wealth management platforms. Very good, very good. And in order to deliver a new experience, we need new technology to underpin that in that sense. So it's uh, exactly. great to have you on the show. You will have been living and breathing the uh, subject matter that we've been talking about today. So maybe if we jump straight in then, I mean, the, the definition gets all misty here, depending on like if you talk to Credit Suisse or you talk to UBS or you talk to HSBC, everybody has a very different uh, uh, definition of uh, what this is. But actually, if we, we define a high net worth individual, according to in Investopedia, a high net worth individual is somebody that has at least one million in liquid financial assets. A very high net worth individual has a net worth of around five million, while ultra high net worth individuals is defined as having at least 30 million in assets. Now, I'm pretty sure if it's 1 million, 5 million or 30 million, there's going to be very different needs in that sense. But uh, I mean, is this something, Lennart, you sort of face into different people trying to almost bundle homogenizing, you know, wealth in that sense? Um, it's very different for very set different sets of needs, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think like, especially if you look at just liquid wealth, right, because 1 million in net worth, um, if you own a house in London, I guess you uh, somehow really get quickly into this uh, category, right? Um, but I think especially if you talk about ultra high net worth individuals, the needs and the complexity of their estate just becomes significantly more um, yeah, difficult to, to manage in general. Um, for the one, one to five million, um, so I would say the, the higher number, obviously, right, in terms of, uh, of number of clients, um, there's quite a lot of them. Um, around the world, right? And especially here in, in, in developed markets uh, in Europe. And they have specific needs to preserve their wealth, right? Uh, obviously the other ones as well, but it gets more complex. But I think in, especially in the first two categories, it's about wealth preservation, not so much anymore about necessarily trying to make a lot of money, but um, thinking about retirement, right? Thinking about um, yeah, transforming um, their own money into the money of their children at some point, right? Because uh, there will be, um, basically moving this over over the next few years, right? Um, so I think very different needs, very different um, digital needs, very different uh, complexity of needs. And yeah, you need to design, I think, products differently for these three segments that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, how long has there been a, I mean, Will, I know with the work that we've done, we've we've looked at pretty much every segment of in pretty much every geography at this stage in terms of uh, different types of people with different things. But how often... Or, or how recently has there been such a big distinction in that sense? Or is it just something, because retail banking gets all of the, you know, the, the the media, all of the plaudits, all of the, I mean, a lot of the budget in many organizations in terms of where they're investing. But but this is, a, I mean, this is a really the, the, the fundamental of when we talk about ultra high net worth, we talk about corporate organizations as well. I mean, they're really where most of the big bucks are made from the banks, aren't they? Yeah, and to be honest, I mean, it's it, there are parallels to draw between you know sizes of business. We're talking if, you, if you're looking at business banking space, because yeah, sure, retail has been the focus. We've seen all sorts of amazing things, and actually seen quite a lot of the, uh, I guess, private banks or, or or services for high net worth individuals pretty much fall behind from even the the basics. So actually, 
starting off, whether you're 1 million, 5 million, or 30 million, there's probably the same challenges to start to tackle just to be able to get really good fundamentals in there. But to be honest, you know, we're now seeing a point where people are making uh, kind of better products and we're getting to a point where actually it does mean whether you're sort of 1 million or, or 30 million makes a huge amount of difference from, I guess, complexity and the amount that you uh, expect from a service. And I know we'll, we'll probably get into this a bit later, but I think someone with 1 million rightly wants something that uh, feels like uh, you know a good handshake and they're being led through everything. But someone with 30 million, the level of expe- expectation is, is hugely above. And from a digital perspective, um, I think it's really interesting how, I guess, uh, how much of it you can make digital and how much of it is uh, sort of scaling uh, humans um, through, uh, through different channels. Yeah, so it's a difficult one, I guess, in this market, isn't it? You know, the what's the differentiation? If I look at any retail bank that has a wealth proposition that's attached to it, what's the differentiating factor? Squiggly logo, like, as far as I can tell. <laughs> like, I mean, like it's a squiggly logo, maybe like a more expensive looking font, which I'm sure really offends your design discipline, uh, Will, in, in many instances. But when it comes to digital as a channel where most of financial services is is distributed, not that much, you know what I mean? Not, not much in terms of the, and actually that breaks down the traditional sort of power structure in that sense, because, you know, whether it's Coots founded in, you know, 1692, or whether it's, you know, a, a wealth of other, you know, hyper private closed, almost club, uh, you know, ultra high net worth banks in that sense, all of the differentiating factors, as you say, will have been delivered by people. Um, so, but in a world where, well, I'm not sure I really, I would literally do anything on the planet not to ring a person up to talk to them. Uh, <laughs> I do enough of that during the week, you know I'm what I mean? So, <laughs> so being in a situation where like digital is something different, then, I mean, the, the discipline, you know, the considerations around design, I mean, are quite difficult in that sense. I mean, um, Lennart, Will, I mean, we, we've both done this as companies, I'm sure. But Lennart, when you were researching your your platform and what a good customer experience, you can't ring Elon Musk up and be like, mate, we want to do some research. Uh, we'll give you £50 Amazon vouchers. Will you come and do some research with us? Just doesn't work, does it? So just even getting access to that customer base to talk to them about the change, the shift that you want to see is actually quite difficult, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, but I think what, what Mill mentioned is actually true. The fundamentals or the, the basics are just not even met there, right? So I think it's the first steps that need to be taken are quite straightforward. Uh, just because retail bank or retail banking customers actually get a better digital service than private banking customers with many private banks, right? So, um, and I think that for sure has to do with, um, a, um, I would say the average private banking client is on the on the older side right so um especially in in europe right we're talking probably mid 70s in the or later uh, older in terms of average age right of uh, of their uh, target customers um however they will all be passing this wealth to the next generation right and then you have a drastically different uh, kind of customer base that has very different uh, expectations when it comes to digital experience and convenience in a way and somewhat control probably so I think they are just the basics. There's so much to do for them, right? That you don't necessarily need to ring up uh, Elon Musk. Um, but then afterwards, you would be surprised um, how willing people are to actually share their thoughts about what a better experience would be for them. Um, even if they are, their time is extremely valuable, of course, they still are very willing to help you 
uh, define a better experience. Yeah, I mean, we we always find you know customers are not great at describing what they would want, but they're really good at telling you what they do. Uh, and actually, it's an interesting one to be in a situation where you have those conversations and figure out. And that and that's where actually there's so much similarities between you know the emergence of digital in any industry. In that sense, it's you know finding the people who have found a way of doing something productive, standardizing, scaling it in that way. So those those processes in that way. But it's interesting, is I mean the the lateral you drew there will around you know, um, SMBs or corporates almost, you know, everyday financial wealth for high net worth is a, it's a, you know, we talk about complex and chaotic markets. That's a pretty complex market, right? In terms of all of the different things that they have to deal with, all of the different views of financial services and access to those things. I mean, that's a, that's an interesting challenge to face into, isn't it? Oh, massively. And actually, I think, on the sort of on the wealth management side of things, uh, for for years, um, high net worth individuals have had someone experienced on the end of the phone to know that that sort of thing is is, is fairly well taken care of. Um, if, you know, they build up those relationships. It's actually the I guess the day to day and the the running of uh, of of their house of their. Um, I guess, you know, their family and, and, you know, I personally don't have a boat. I don't have loads of properties or staff. I mean, I wish I did. And if I did, I would want to be on top of that thing. Cause I think it's a, it's a, we're working mis- very hard. Will. we'll I'm get doing there, my best. you know, we'll, I'm doing yeah, my we're best. working really hard. <laughs> the 11FS boat, it's not far away. The, um, but I guess the point I'm making is that actually often people designing for the super rich make the assumption that they aren't uh, in the details of their money because they've got so much of it. Why should they care? But actually, you don't get to become super rich without knowing what's going on with your finances. And actually, it's little things that keep these people uh, awake at night. And providing digital services that don't make that assumption and actually know that there's a complexity and a density of information that they're looking to drill down into and get deeper insight into that's uh, and you know an understanding that they do run like a small business and potentially employ people um, personally rather than uh, uh, I guess um, you know on a on a on a payroll of a business is really interesting and giving Definitely. them control and context to do that I think uh, is is one of the keys to crack here. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I mean, the the sort of everyday view of what that looks like is I mean, there's so many different similarities you can draw into other different you know, walks of life or slices of financial services in that sense. But that complexity is all facilitated by, you know, financial services going from not just creating financial instruments, but orchestrating a service in that sense, isn't it? In in terms of actually getting to that. But I mean, this is a, a pretty big challenge though. And actually, I mean, Leonard, you, you sort of alluded to it a second ago. I mean, the retail banking space was a little bit like watching frogs get boiled, you know, like actually it got a bit hot before they started to realize it was getting hot. And then there was competition in the market. But look, with the ultra high net worth end of the spectrum, money changes hands like, you know, like overnight, right? So, and if they haven't built a a great relationship with all of the peripherals of the family of where that money goes to, then you might lose a lot of money really, really quickly, right? So your your point was spot on. I mean, that intergenerational view of how relationships are built and capabilities are, and the difference of expectations of like, 
little Timmy who's just inherited 20 million pounds type thing is going to be very different from, you know, Leonard who was 73 and, you know, just happy with the guy with the briefcase. So, I mean, is that really the biggest challenge that the industry is facing into in this sense? Oh, absolutely. I think from, and it's it's heavily underestimated by, by many people in the industry, right? It's, the private banking market has been very juicy for the private banks, especially, right? The margins were really high. Um, asset management is a great business because it goes up and especially in the bull market that we had, right? Um, it's it's easy in that sense, but there's a lot of margin pressure coming from new regulation, right? They have to disclose all the fees that they're charging and people realized just how much they were actually paying. Um, and then secondly, exactly the point that you mentioned, the biggest risk that they have is the money goes to the next generation and they just don't have a service that is competitive, right? Um, and then you just basically move to another provider that still provides you a great service, a great balance sheet, right? But it just does a way better job when it comes to digital customer experience. And as you mentioned, you need to build out the relationship with the next generation now and don't wait until the money changes hands, right? Because then it's too late. Um, and that is definitely easy for ultra high net worth individuals because it's economically efficient, right, to do so. And you can spend actually money on on this next generation uh, commitment. But when you're talking about a person that has uh, a million or two in the bank, you don't like you do not have the time or the means actually to uh, build a relationship with all of them. So you need to build a better service anyways, in order to be competitive, right? Uh, because somebody will, and many people already do, right? Uh, there's some great experiences being built by great names in the private banking side. Um, there are few, but they are, right? And uh, they will take market share from the rest if the other ones don't uh, really catch up when it comes to technology. And they're really, really far behind. 100%. Well, maybe if we sort of, having looked at the market a bit more generally, if we maybe look into some of the challenges in terms of actually accessing this market, because we'll, we'll get onto that, as you say, there's there are people doing stuff in the market and there is a there is a shift. There is a, a sort of a shift in terms of what that competitive space looks like. But Will, maybe starting with you, I mean, what, what is the the biggest pain points when it comes to designing products for this market? Because it ain't straightforward, is it? No, <laughs> it's a great question, and uh, it's difficult to know where to start. I mean, first and foremost, there is still sort of reticence in many uh, older high net worth customers to move large sums of money online without sort of speaking to someone and approving it, or even doing that thing in person, which you know surprises me every time I hear it, but. There's being able to design trust into uh, interfaces that recognize that this isn't simply sending a mate a fiver in, in many instances. I guess one of the bigger ones as well is sort of scaling that traditionally perceived sort of white glove service, which you can't, I mean, we talked about, you can't easily scale a, a human. Uh, there's only so much of their time. And, you know, a lot of people don't want video access to a banker. You're just changing the channel. Um, so actually, scaling that white glove service comes down to use of data. Um, it's not necessarily having that data because obviously connectivity is a big thing. You're trying to build a big picture of their wealth, uh, even the stuff they don't hold with you. So illiquid assets, accounts elsewhere. It's what you actually then do with that. And that comes into one of the biggest pain points is Answering the question, I guess, for a high net worth individual of how am I actually doing uh, is is really, really complicated. And that big number doesn't mean that much to to everyone. It's probably quite comforting to go, oh, yes, still uh, still 20 million today. That makes me feel nice. But uh, actually, what they really want to dig into, 
as is probably something quite a uh, sort of micro beneath that that keeps them awake at night and being able to put powerful tools in someone's hands that has a complete picture and uses data and then knows how to scale a white glove service and interact with a financial advisor in a way where they have more context and their interactions with the customer are of higher value rather than I can't do this. Can you please help me do this? It suddenly becomes, uh, you know, perhaps your financial advisor has more time. They're not dealing with the little things anymore. And actually, to me, that's the the key of uh, sort of creating, um, you know, a digital private bank is is using data to and really good service to to get those those little things and those insights out of the way, so you can have better conversations for the the differentiating factor of a of a person, I suppose. Yeah, I guess the I mean, as you sort of said a second ago, the the people at the very high end of this, you know, I mean, again, we we sort of said, you know, ultra high net worth and high net worth, ultra high net worth. There's like a team of people who look after this stuff for you, and you don't really mind so long as they don't run off with your money, and then you're fine. That's all good, you know. Like, but actually, I guess it's like more mass market, you know, million to five million. To your point, Lennart, where actually. For the bank's sake, they can't really they can't give white glove experience as you uh, as you uh, describe it, Will, because essentially it's just not it's not economically viable in that sense to do that. But but I guess in a in a world where in a world where that um, you know private banking for the mass market is essentially where retail banking is moving towards, then like how do you how do you create a a wealth experience in a digital world. And really, what does that mean? Like, what does, what does wealth experience mean? Does it mean, you know, you feel... Because, like, there's some lovely koi carp and marble floors in in Coots, but, like, translating that into a, a mobile app is really, really difficult, isn't it, in terms of that experience, the thickness of the paper and the thickness of the carpet, right? So so is it... But is it staying to the basics? And when I say basics, is it is it that there are fundamental jobs that these people need to solve and we are solving them through creating digital capability that solves them? Or is it something different? Is it, you know, Will, you sort of said the the access to humans, is that the secret sauce here? In a, in a world of one-size-fits-nobody banking that we've got for everybody else, is having somebody on the end of the line actually a differentiator in that sense if you've got a million pounds? I couldn't tell you, you know? Well, I think the... Well, this is a very open question, right? Of, of, we can talk about this probably an hour, but um, I think the there's definitely a benefit of the personal service and the, a hybrid solution for for private banking makes sense. Just because if something really really important happens, you want to talk to somebody, right? Um, so if you have a million uh, or five million pounds, you don't want to wait for two hours to speak to somebody, right? You want somebody that um, is there for you when you really need it. Um, but I think there's a way to automate a lot of the nitty gritty stuff, the daily things, right? That still give you a lot more control, a lot more uh, transparency maybe, and a lot more services that can be automated. And you still have the um, personal service for this, let's say the first two segments that we discussed, the one or the un- up to 20 million, right? Um, where there's still somebody at a certain point in time that is human that can help you, but you can still get a better service just because there's different services that are being automated. You get a more tailored wealth management service, right? You get more control over how your money gets invested. You get more detail about how your money does good in the world, for example, right? Because that's important to many people uh, that their money actually works uh, in in favor of good things, not bad things, right? Um, And then, uh, but I totally agree. I think the service for the ultra high net worth will still be significantly more hands-on, right? Just because it makes more sense for the bank to do so 
Um, but yeah, I think from from my part, what I would do as a as a private bank, I would automate and uh, build great digital services that still differentiate yourself, um, give you this additional prestige, right, of being uh, a a client of the same bank that the the queen is or was a client of, right, or the king now is a is a client of. I think it still gives a lot of people a, a sense of of uh, pride and. Uh, exclusivity of course right and you can build additional services around that digital services um, that still makes sense from an economic perspective um, but also give you this yeah differentiation to a retail banking service yeah it's it's um it is fascinating isn't it and <clears throat> speaking of money changing hands as clearly coots are dealing with this right now in that sense i guess aren't they in terms of uh, as you say with the 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 queen but um i guess it's going from a similar demographic to a similar demographic in that sense in terms of actually where that money will go but yeah i i do um it's such an interesting subject matter in terms of well how do you really get down to the uh, the the guts of it. Well, I mean, one of the things that we we've seen as as we're sort of researching this is compliance is clearly a a major factor, particularly if you're talking about people who um, security, particularly if you're talking about people who are in the public eye. Then actually, um, we've seen there was a, a study that was done uh, that said 53% of high net worth individuals admit that they've been a victim of financial scam of some description. That's very high. Like if you sort of think about the general population, it wouldn't be anywhere near that. That, that sense. Um, but I, I kind of wonder if there's an empowerment part of this that goes sort of slightly back to uh, kind of what we were both saying. I mean, I remember when um, the, the nice guy from my dad's bank would turn up to see my dad every six months or so. I remember him looking at CFAX for like two days beforehand to find out CFAX for anybody who doesn't know, because you're all too young, was basically the internet before the internet. It was like static pages on the on your TV. And it was painful. But he was trying to make himself aware of the situation before the man with the briefcase came and felt very patronizing about this and you know. So uh, in the, in this day of immediacy and access to data and information all the time, empowering your customers to feel smart enough to be involved in part of the decision making around what's going on in their portfolio and the engagement like that seems like this is a major a major part of that in that sense. What what do you think, Will? Is that is that something that's come out from the research that you guys have been doing? Yeah, I think so. And firstly, thanks for the trip down memory lane with uh, with CFAX. It's, it's brought back some uh, some great memories sitting on the carpet looking at that. Um, I, I do think, uh, I guess, the it's a difficult one with advice, right? Because you you know the the financial advisor doesn't necessarily want uh, loads and loads of uh, robo advice uh, changing their relationship. Um, and you've basically got two parties to put in the loop there. I think as long as um, the things you are reading have a really good understanding of your individual goals, whether that's near term, uh, long term, how do I want to retire? I think that's the key to this because there's like we've we've gone past CFAX. We don't need to tell everyone everything that's going on in the world. Actually, they've got other sources for that. As a private bank, we have um, unique access to uh, what someone's holdings are, exactly what uh, their sort of long-term and short-term financial goals are. We should be able to direct them the right information and then promote a conversation to be able to discuss it. Because the other thing is providing people more information 
tends to uh, encourage more knee-jerk reactions, like uh, pulling all of your money out when something's dropped. And, uh, you know, as someone that's done that regularly with uh, standard services, I'm pretty certain if I was super high net worth, I'd uh, want a few more guardrails to stop me uh, blowing millions on a quite carefully set out strategy by a, by a financial advisor. Well, and that's why communication is so critical, isn't it? You know, in a in a sort of fantasy football league, you know, Bitcoin generation, then, uh, you know, moving things around quickly and immediacy of access is uh, the worst possible financial advice you could give anybody when it comes to any level of investment, isn't it? So it's uh, it is a it is an interesting balancing act there between, you know, too much friction removal can lead to much worse financial outcomes in that sense for particularly those people on the cusp of having other people looking after that stuff for them. But I mean, one, one of those, you know, black holes really is, is taxes more, more broadly. I mean, Lena, how, how do, how do organizations solve that problem for people in an, in, uh, you know, increasingly international world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they are at least in the European side, I think private banking has moved a bit away from that uh, because there were just so many, um, problems or legal problems that they got into, right? Um, and I think that and you've seen that in in, in Switzerland, right? They, uh, banking secrecy there is basically a thing of the past in a way, right? Uh, because they're uh, cooperating um, with basically now every uh, European country or global um, developed country, right? Um, so I think they, are, um, they, they probably still can give you advice, but I think that moved a bit away and outside the bank um, more into a lawyer kind of scenario, right? Where you can still structure this in, in uh, very tax efficient ways. I think uh, we've seen that over various scandals over the past, right? Um, but I think from, from a private banking perspective, as they've been burned so many times, um, they try to s- steer away from it, um, which makes sense, right? And um, also nowadays, I think the reporting of uh, every single trade for every single individual that is necessary to the regulator, etc., it becomes a less and less obscure world and a more and more transparent world, which I think is uh, is good, right? Um, and it's for the benefit of everybody. And hence, technology can help there for sure. Um, I'm I'm sure there's still going to be some bad apples, right? Um, and it's difficult to uh, yeah to to get rid of all of them. But I think generally, from a, a development perspective, I think we're moving in the right perspective there. Um, and techs evasion in that sense is um, becoming less and less of a um, private banking problem in that sense. Yeah. Tax evasion, never a good thing. Tax uh, tax avoidance is a bad thing. Tax efficiency is the right side of that line, exactly. I've been told many times in that sense. But uh, all right, we'll be back very shortly and talk a little bit more about that and what the future holds after the break. As the leading open banking platform, Tink enables the largest banks, lenders, and payment providers to offer exceptional user experiences. Tink offers the best way to connect to banks across Europe to build seamless services that can reach more than 250 million consumers. And they're already doing this for the likes of American Express, PayPal, and Revolut. To get started with data-driven solutions for customer onboarding, making better risk decisions, or for instant bank payments with the highest conversion rate in the industry, visit Tink.com. All right, let us move on a little bit with what's actually going to happen going forwards then. So, I mean, if we make these solutions, and as I sort of said a little bit earlier on, that democratization of access to financial services, you know, private bank for the mass market, yada, yada, yada. 
How does the differentiation for high net worth come through? We talked a little bit about people. We talked a little bit about uh, efficiencies of access. I mean, are we going to really see a gigantic change, do you think, in, in terms of what's being offered? Because clearly there is a huge opportunity there. I mean, we talk about uh, 11FS, we talk a lot about that there's there's uh, rails and products, and this is where traditional banks are really good, but there's services and journeys, and that service is really what ultra-high net worth buy into. Uh, I mean, Coots is a phenomenal example of this in an analog sense. They pretty much can get you in anywhere whenever you want to for anything. And because that bank is so well connected in, you know, in London, in, in the UK and, and broader. But that type of sort of concierge capability, is that, do we think these types of organizations and differentiating in this level of service for this type of customer has to be more than just the financial product? Uh, Lena, what do you what do you think? Is it is it enough to differentiate on financial products, or is it going to be more about the service? Do you think? Well, I think the financial product is becoming more and more a commodity, right? And that's really really um, difficult to differentiate yourself there. It's possible for sure, and you need to really offer something that is unique, right? And um, and that there's ways to leverage technology to do so. Um, however, I think the the more differentiating factor will be the customer experience, right? And that's digital and the services that you offer. So how can you really create great financial planning products, financial um, inclusion products, right? Or services, like you mentioned, where you uh, bring them uh, into specific networking events, right? For example, right? Which is a very exclusive and uh, prestigious um, um, circle, I would say, where you make great uh, connections. So that's definitely a, um, a factor of differentiating yourself. and probably also attracting customers to to stay with you, right? Even the next generation, because you know, it's actually a uh, profitable endeavor here to pay you fees because you, um, yeah, basically provide me with great connections uh, in the business world. It's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because actually then, what is the differentiated thing of being part of a bank in that sense? Because if we, if we play, if we play scenario, because actually, uh, you know, the three of us are pretty well aligned on what the future could be there. But actually, if we're going to if we're going to uh, democratize or or create digital capability that can replicate almost family offices from a digital perspective in terms of you know algorithms managing people's financial lives for them to make them better off and that's great. So they're crushing it in the stock market. Their long term savings are going well. They're paid off their debt. They're you know managing their household in in the way that they want to. I mean, if all of that is a digital construct. There's no reason really why we couldn't deliver that to everybody from a mass market perspective. So really the thing that you then start differentiating on is your access to scarcity of resource, isn't it? And, you know, back to your point, Will, you know, people's time, uh, both in terms of the efficiencies you save for individuals to, to manage these things for them so that they don't have to worry about managing them, but also access to other people's time. You know, Leonard, like you say, the... You know, galleries or events or every you know things that money can't buy becomes the differentiating point in those experiences, which is I hadn't really thought about it in that way before. But Will, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we've talked, I guess, a lot around how we better serve uh, different high net worth individuals' functional needs around you know the services, the management of money. 
what uh, Leonard was starting to allude to was, sort of, you know, all of the different ways that we uh, service their sort of emotional and social needs uh, and their, you know, their circles of influence and and how they can, uh, you know, how we can treat people from a lifestyle perspective. But I think it's quite interesting because if we targeted all of these questions towards someone that was trying to enter the market now with this kind of product, it would be a different challenge to, for instance, coots who have, uh, you know, all of that heritage. and actually. If we're talking about sort of social and emotional needs, you need a you know a target customer in mind, and actually that plays hugely into your your brand because if you're if you're trying to differentiate for a traditional uh, view of what a high net worth individual looks like, you probably have pictures of stuffy old white males and pictures of mountains representing graphs climbing up. But actually, if you take uh, I, I mean I was looking at um, Alpian earlier, who uh, you know. The, the new Swiss uh, uh, digital private bank. Not a not a huge set of uh, pictures of uh, stuffy old white males. It's about designing for belonging and, and representing a different group because, you know, if you are offering uh, really great digital products servicing functional needs, that's cool. But if the differentiator is, you know, the access to things, the way that you uh, represent the customer also becomes a differentiator as well. It's about your brand. Um, because if I'm trying to appeal to crypto millionaires, they're going to have a very different set of things they want access to versus uh, someone who wants to go have a very good brandy somewhere in Soho. Different needs, very different needs. I would love, um, I feel like this is a jobs to be done framework we should do at some point just to experience, like put ourselves in the day of a life of a ultra high net worth person, just because I'm not sure our CFO would sign off the budget for that, Will, but we should uh, we should put it to her anyway. But uh, oh. <laughs> um, I mean, you brought up crypto uh, there and, and Leonard, this is something that obviously from a, a wealth perspective is, I mean, some of the prices are nearly going away, aren't they? And some of them and some of those coins have, have disappeared. But uh, do you think we're going to see more and more in that sort of crypto asset world? Uh, and actually that sort of replicating more mainstayed wealth propositions in that way? I think, well, the short answer is yes, um, but it's a bit more complicated, I think. the I think private banking generally is very traditional, right? Especially also um, because it's the the place you put your money and you know it's safe, right? So that's a bit the the concept and why a new private bank is so difficult to to create because it's an enormous trust exercise, right? Who, If you have 20 million uh, as your net worth, do you put that with one single uh, entity? And if so, will this entity be around in 50 years, right? Um, will it uh, survive the next crash, right? So that's, that's the... Um, the reason also why um, people go to private banks because they have been around for for sometimes hundreds of years, right? And you know that this generational wealth will be there for the next generation. Um, so I think that's definitely also a benefit and the, a benefit that they're playing on, that they know that this is a really trust-worthy uh, place to put your money, right? And will be there um, even in political um, distress, right? That's why Switzerland still, despite no secrecy, is such an attractive mar uh, market for, for private banks, right? Um, but uh, coming back to you, uh, to your question uh, and regarding crypto, I still think that there will be more and more adoption of crypto in the private banking space. It's very little at the moment, I have to say, um, just because of the traditional and risk-averse uh, kind of nature of it. However, you've seen partnerships between BlackRock and uh, Coinbase, right? You've seen um, private banks uh, like LGT uh, announcing that they will offer 
or JP Morgan, right? They will offer access to cryptocurrencies, or at least Bitcoin and Ethereum, to their customers, right? So bit by bit, I think they will offer this just because there's demand for it, right? And people with a lot of money and that are um, willing to invest money and willing to risk money, they are attracted to maybe riskier investments or um, attractive investments in that sense, if you think of crypto that way. Um, and hence, I just believe that in the long run, of course, there will be more offering for this. The recent price drop definitely didn't help, I think. Um, so <laughs> there, might, there might be some lag to this. But yeah, I, I absolutely think this will, will come in the next few years. Well, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? The as you say, it hasn't been a um, it hasn't been a, a bank led initiative. It's very much been a customer one, and really the banks have got on board. You know, Jamie Dimon's changed his tune lately, hasn't he? In terms of uh, you know getting involved and getting uh, getting the ability for their customers to to see this as another asset in that sense. And essentially, I mean, I was all sort of brought up to never never gamble money you can't afford to lose, but I imagine never invest money you can't afford to lose either in that sense. So actually dig digital currencies or uh, crypto assets, digital assets more broadly, it's just another asset class that sits on the end of the spectrum of risk in that sense. So being able to account for it in a portfolio just sort of makes sense, doesn't it? But so, I mean, bringing us back to the top, because I, I feel like we've had a lovely conversation. I feel like there's a, I feel like there's some seeds here that we could probably go into for like another hour. But I mean, fundamentally, how do you design financial services for the mega rich? Is the answer like everybody else, not in terms of what you deliver, but just fundamentally listening to what the problems that they have on a day-to-day -day basis and solving for those things? Is that is that what we're coming out with this on, Will? I, I mean, yeah, I think you've nailed it at its core. We're, we're listening to the, the jobs to be done. We're taking them from a, a, a banking perspective and imagining they are a small business. I think that's a, that's a huge thing to do. I think um, looking beyond the traditional things that a, a private bank would offer because – Sure, people want access to things and they want uh, you know, tax efficiency in their philanthropy, but actually they want a greater connection with that. It's about um, how you, uh, I guess, forge a bit more emotion uh, through that, that digital um, channel by not simply focusing on your primary purpose of making someone's money grow a little bit and making them feel like they're in control of it because those feel, feel like they should be the basics. It's how do you, uh, I guess, look on the periphery of your purpose and go, okay, what do we do from a brand perspective, from a you know, access perspective? How do we uh, bring in uh, the next generation as well? And these are all feel like little modular bits that you can start to to attack that form part of that just to be done framework. But I guess the question of uh, how you design financial services, I guess, comes down to whether you're starting from zero or whether you're trying to modernize. And But a lot of the jobs are the same, I think. And it, I guess that's an interesting point as well, Leno. I mean, we I would say, uh, you know, ideas are easy, execution is difficult, but I don't think there's any private bank or super private that we're not even cool enough to know about bank for ultra high net worth people that don't have some good ideas. But many of them don't have the technology in place to actually execute on that. So is a big part of this putting in place the platforms, the technology, the capabilities to, you know, really learn from what fintech has done best, which is test and learn and iterate and continually evolve the service. Absolutely. I think that's, well, that's exactly the reason why we created Nucor, right? The We've seen all the, the technological shifts in different 
uh, areas of the banks or uh, in different industries, right? But private banking has been really, really slow in adopting new technology, right? And they really run on legacy technology. And I'm sure in wealth management, Excel is still the most used tool um, by many, many uh, banks and wealth managers, right? So I think there's just a need to change the infrastructure and be actually able to build great digital products um, just because otherwise you're um, you're trying to win a race, which is unwinnable, right? Um, just because you won't won't be able to win. And it, of course, ideas, there's many ideas, but you also need to make this a priority um, internally. And a lot of private banks don't even have a CTO, right? So that just shows you that technology is not their main, uh, main problem to focus. They focus on compliance and uh, uh, risk avoidance and, and other points, right? Uh, and not so much on technology. And I think this will change definitely over the next few years, just because of the imminent uh, yeah, restructuring of their client base and the transfer of wealth from one generation to the next. And then they just need to react. And the faster they do it, well, the better for them. Well, that's that's always the way, isn't it? Uh, people don't elect for heart surgery, but uh, but when you need it, you move pretty quickly, right? So being in a situation where the market's changing so quickly and the platforms and the expectations of the customers are, then it feels like this industry will, will very much be a, a one of change over the next five to 10 years, which is always good fun isn't it it's always nice to have fun things to do it's always nice to have new problems to solve so uh, on that note though it does wrap up today's discussion i'm afraid we, it has gone by super quickly but uh, it always does when it's an interesting panel and an interesting subject matter thank you so much both of you for joining us where can people learn a little bit more about you and your companies will well, I think uh, in terms of company, 11fs.com, I've uh, written a bunch of things and, uh, and recorded some. So if you would like to hear a few more things on on design generally in this space and broader, uh, there's plenty of content there. Or uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'd love to you know, be in touch with more of you. Very good. Lena, where can people learn more about you and your company? Nucor.com, very straightforward, right? Um, connect to us, uh, connect to me on LinkedIn. Uh, happy to have a, have a chat. And uh, yeah, we gladly help you or listen to you if you have great ideas for infrastructure in uh, the modern wealth space. Fantastic. As for me, you can always find me lurking on LinkedIn these days. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review. It super duper makes it easier for other people to find the show. As always, if you want to join in the conversation, you can find us on every social media channel these days. Uh, just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email us on podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.